Chapter Twenty Four of The Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Blue Star, Chapter Twenty Four Speeches in the Great Assembly. It was the old Hall of Presence. The throne stood as before, its dark wood bright with jewels, and the jeweled star bright above it, so that Rodvard felt at his back almost a palpable emanation of de Sola's high fame. Before him chairs had been swung out from the walls into the space where all had once stood to hear judgments pronounced from the throne, as in the great days of King Crotinianus, and other chairs brought in, not consonant with those already there. He himself occupied the seat once reserved to the announcer, two steps up. A board was placed for him to write on, since this was to be the pretense for his being there. To the right, another step up, was the place once occupied by the chamberlain, which Matherin would presently take. It also had a board. Rodvard looked out across the hall, now filling with men, most of whom bowed to the throne on entering, in the ancient form. Very few were badged with coronets, and it seemed to Rodvard a cause of hope and pleasure that this was so. There was a solid group of legists, some merchants, and a few men from the lesser orders, though not as many as he had expected. As he watched, the Episcopals came in, six of the seven at once, not looking around at the fall and sudden rise of chatter that attended their entrance. They moved to places in the premier row of chairs. Legist badges began drifting toward them as straws on a stream will be drawn by a log. Matherin came in. He wore his servant's black and badge of low condition as though they were robes and a crown, strutting visibly. He did not bow to the throne, but walked straight up to the chamberlain's place, sat down, bounced up again immediately, and slapped his palm on the board for attention. As the buzz of talk died reluctantly and men took their places, he watched with tight lips. When only two or three whisperers remained, he struck the board again and said, "'There is a new matter of utmost importance before the assembly of the nation.' A solid-looking man who bore the coronet badge stood up into the dramatic pause and said, "'I am the Marquis of Palm.' There is an old matter for which this assembly was called that I shall never cease to urge. No regent apparent has been—he was allowed to say no more. A chorus of angry babblings covered his voice, and Matherin slapped sharply. His voice rose. I am only the writer before this assembly, and will place before it whatever is desired. But it does not seem to me that it wishes to hear your proposal, Sir Marquis the more since the matter of which I speak is so great that it overrides every other. I have to say that the nation, already threatened by exterior enemies, is now called upon to face a worse danger, one that will call for all our exertions. It is this. The leaders in whom we have most trusted have turned traitor, and are conspiring with the enemies of the people." Now there were more babblings and angry cries, such as, "'Cut their throats!' with a couple of fists brandished aloft. But Rodvard noticed that all the outcry came from one section of the hall behind the Episcopals. 
one of the latter began fanning himself rapidly. Instead of quieting, the tumult augmented as Matherin stood sweeping his eyes across it with a half-triumphant air. At last he raised a hand. "'I will tell you the worst,' he said. "'Not in fine words, but brutally, for this is a brutal thing.' He shuffled a handful of papers. "'No, wait. I will begin with the tale of how this knowledge reached us.' At Drog, below the pass that leads through the ragged mountains to Rishaka, there is an inn. Some eight days gone there came to it a carriage, bearing one of the ladies of the court. Oh, a beautiful lady, all dressed as though for a ball. She came from the north, from Zents, where the court is, and as the road leads to Trichilaka ultimately, her actions roused some suspicion in the mind of the innkeeper. He is a true patriot and thought she might be carrying wealth away out of the country, in violation of the decree against it. Watched her, and noticed that she was very careful of a certain casket. The innkeeper thereupon summoned people's guards, who seized the casket and broke it open. They found no money, but they found this. Matherin drew from his papers one that seemed to be of parchment, and waved it aloft so that all could see that it bore at its foot a huge blue seal, star-shaped, the sign-manual of the Chancery of the Realm. There were sharp intakes of breath and stirring among the chairs. The Episcopal who had been fanning himself stopped. The sturdy man who had described himself as the Marquis of Palm stared aloft with his mouth open and a frown on his face. "'Shall I read it to you? No, not word for word for it is written in Trichulacan, and with the stupid, decorative court phrases that try to hide real meaning." Rodvard thought, he was more orator's tricks than I ever would have imagined. Pause. Here it is, then. A missive, signed with the name of Count Cludi, himself a Trichulacan by birth, to Pariso, Lord Regent of Trichulaca but bearing as proof of genuineness the seal of our gracious majesty the queen. The substance of it is that, while without doubt the rebellion of her cousin Pavinius, aided though he is by the Myrns, will soon be put down, the war is likely to be long and wasteful. Her gracious majesty therefore consents to the proposal of the Lord Pariso, made in the name of true religion and the old friendship between the two houses, that he shall join the army of de Solda with not less than sixteen shars. And in return for this, it is graciously conceded that Trichulaca has a just claim to the city and province of Sididmir. And some of these Trichulacan shars shall pass to the war by way of Netsnagan city, to suppress certain disorders there. The rats! There is no dealing with such people! Shame! shouted someone almost before he had finished and now all over the hall men were on their feet and shouting, but among other cries there was one of, FORGERY! Matherin seemed to be waiting for that moment. FORGERY! he cried, his voice going up almost to the cracking point. If you think it is forgery, look at it yourself! And threw the paper outward, as one might the caught-hunted animal to the dogs. Will you call it forgery when I tell you also that the whole Trichulacan fleet has been placed on war standard? The nation is betrayed!" Now the tumult seemed completely out of hand. 
men moving from place to place confusedly or trying to say something, and in every eye Rodvard could catch there was nothing but mere fury, which expressed itself in a color of maroon. Matherin looked out on the scene, making no effort at control. But from the first row there rose a tall old man with white hair and a face set in a habitual expression of benevolence, who raised high his white staff of office, by which Rodvard recognized him as the archiepiscopal Tarapis Groden. Eyes caught the staff. Voice after voice was abstracted from the uproar until only a few still tried to speak, then two, then none. The archiepiscopal waited until there was a silence broken only by a cough. Matherin pressed Rodvard's shoulder to read the eyes, but the old man only cast one swift glance at the dais before turning to address the assembly. "'Sir Reiter,' he said, "'and you, lords and estates of the realm, this is not a pleasant thing that we have heard. There may be some question of the authenticity of this message, or it may have been written merely to deceive. A document from the hand of the heretic Pavinius, who would make himself the equal of God. Yet I will not deny that we must behave as though it were true. For if we do nothing, and it proves to be so, it will be too late. And for myself, I fear it is true. For it is given to the spiritual estate to discern the machinations of the powers of evil. There is before us, then, the question of how, joying in the protection of God, we can circumvent the machinations of the enemy, who has made man and women naturally good into instruments of evil. Let us therefore prayerfully address ourselves to the question of how the realm may escape this trouble. In an emergency equal to this, in the reign of King Clor with Queen Burdett I, the assembly of the realm set aside their rule in favor of their daughter, with her husband, the great King Crotinianus, of glorious memory. But now there are no heirs female, and of heirs male, only Prince Pavinius. Thus we seem faced with the hard choice of accepting him, and so selling the soul to preserve the body, or of adhering to the Queen's will and saving the soul through bodily submission to Trichulaca. But I do not think God demands of us such submission, for our God is a God of joy. We are here met in the high assembly of the realm, which I hold to represent what of the power material has failed to protect its own, and the power spiritual is fully represented. Therefore, though such a step has no basis in law or custom, I say, let us set up a regency in the time of a living queen. It should have members of lords and estates to show forth the source of its authority, and since the true enemy is that power of evil which has led our good queen astray, I humbly offer to preside." He sat. There was a rumor, almost of agreement, but with a little edge in it that left Rodvard glad the archiepiscopal had ended so for all the rest of what he said might have led them to agree, and it seemed to Rodvard that a regency with lords and episcopals on it would be only the old rule again. Matherin jerked his finger toward one of the brown legists who had risen and was waiting for attention. "'I am the Kronzlar Eskal,' said the man. 
I will say that this proposal of a regency in the time of a living ruler has good support in law and custom, though it is not generally known. It is now over eight quadrilles of years since King Balodin II was killed at Bregatz during the Zagrainer Wars, and few remember that only three weeks before his death it was determined that he had gone mad, and the barons set up a council of regency. We may, I think, assume a like madness in the Queen's Majesty, since her offer to Pariso is clearly contrary both to the law of the realm and true religion. His claim to Cedad Mir is based on descent in the male line, since it is well known that the last count of that seigneury wrongfully dispossessed his sister, who survived him to pass on her rights to the crown of Desola. The bright morning light struck through the window, fairly on the speaker's face, and as he took his place, Rodbart caught from his eye a quick gleam of greed and lust for power, altogether surprising in one who had spoken so dry and calmly. He touched Matherin's arm to mention this, but now half a dozen more were on their feet to speak, and the rider before the assembly shot his finger at a man with a merchant's badge, in the group that had made the tumult when the Marquis of Palm was shouted down. "'I protest!' this one bawled. "'I am called Brosen Zelitza. We are the assembly of the nation.' and therefore already regents in our own right. Why vest the regency in a council? Why should Episcopals have the temporal power as well as the spiritual? If no one else dares to speak, I will tell you why. It is because they are sold, sold to Trichulaca. They wish to have the power to complete Cludy's contract, and their objection to it is only a sham. The voice had a curious dynamic quality that seemed to stir the very bones, but in Rodvard's mind, watching the face, there grew only a picture of something with teeth. He could not make out any mind or thought. By the rule of these Episcopals and their mercenaries of the priesthood, the old customs of Desola were set aside, and it is forbidden that women shall use the art. So Desola is being made a half-nation like the savage Germanish with women in bondage, unable to defend—the voice was stirring them, excitement in the hall, with movements and the scratch of a pushed-back chair—corrupt priesthood, refuge of scoundrels and bastards! Rodbart swept the line of the Episcopals, and though they were turned so he could catch no eyes, every pose told of rising indignation. Who cannot define the God they profess to serve! Stop! The archiepiscopal was on his feet again, staff upraised. Ah, the sword bites, does it? Conspirator! Plot! Stop! The voice that was accustomed to dominating the vast recesses of the cathedral was thunderous. Up leapt Matherin. My lord episcopal, he said, this is the great assembly of the people, where each may speak in turn. When you have heard him, we will hear you. The archiepiscopal swung round, and from his eyes Rodbart could catch the flash of anger clearly enough, but that was not the sole emotion, and the rest was veiled. "'I will never hear blasphemy,' he said. "'As the highest officer of government remaining loyal to the realm, I declare this assembly dissolved. All who love God and Desola, follow me.' Amid a renewed outburst, catcalls and shouts of approval mingled he lifted his staff high and strode toward the door, 
followed by the others of his class. A good half the legists came behind. The nobles stood, but hung hesitant, looking toward the strong Marquis of Palm. And then, seeing him sit, some returned to their seats. Of the merchants, some followed, but the little knot where the shouting started remained in their seats. When the procession had passed, Matherin said, The session for this day is closed. He turned toward Rodvard, and the latter saw in the smiling eyes that everything had gone exactly according to plan, and Zalitza was a good man. 2. Rodvard left the Hall of Presence alone, more than a little prideful at being a partaker in great deeds at last, and wondering what the old companions at the Office of Pedigree would say, who had so looked down on and baited him when they knew he was one of the writers before the great assembly of the nation. Silver spotters were in his pouch. The new clothes were neat. It was the finest day of winter. He felt he must tell someone of his delight in all, lifted his head as he strode, and so striding, inadvertently trod on the heel of one before. The man turned to show a face as young as his own and a clerical badge. His hands were hunched beneath the edge of his jacket. I beg your grace," said Rodvard. No matter," said the other. I was thinking, did you know that the great assembly is going to make itself a regency in the place of Queen Burdette? No. A pause. Well, now the Trichelacan Count will find him a better bedfellow. Perhaps we'll have this Prince Pavinius. The Episcopals left the assembly. Oh! Another stop to the conversation. Step, step to the corner, side by side. The encounter glanced around, with discomfort in his eyes at having nothing to say. Have you seen the new representation at Leverdaus? It is called The Maid's Problem, and Menorah is playing. End of chapter 24